follow as I read from Psalm 103. I'm picking up where I left off uh, last April in Psalm 103. I'd like to read verses 1 through 12. We uh, finished at verse 11 uh, on the series up to this point. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. Please give your ears to the word of God. A Psalm of David. Bless Jehovah, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless Jehovah, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy desire with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagle. Jehovah executeth righteous acts and judgments for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his doings unto the children of Israel. Jehovah is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us after our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we stand amazed once again as we read these words. We stand amazed that, that thou hast desired that we would bless thee. Oh Lord our God, we stand amazed that we can frail sinful creatures as ourselves are called to bless Jehovah, oh our souls. We thank thee, O Lord our God, for the privilege. We thank thee that we are able to do it by thy grace as thy sons and daughters through the spirit of adoption, as thy dear children, as those whom thou hast redeemed from the pit. Father, we praise thee and thank thee for thy mercies, mercies that are new every morning. We stand amazed also, Father, that thou hast continued with us, that it has pleased thee to put up with us. We thank thee for thy long suffering continued every day, for thine infinite patience with us. We praise thee, Father. And we thank thee for these words that we have just read. We thank thee for David. We thank thee in particular and especially for God, the Holy Spirit, who inspired David to pen these words. And we thank thee that thou hast given us, when thou didst regenerate our hearts, thou didst give us faith in thy word that we know through that faith that when we read and when we hear thy word, we are hearing thy voice, thy voice, the voice of our Father in heaven. We thank thee and praise thee. We do ask, O Lord our God, for thy help now. Thou knowest our great need. 
Our Father, we thank thee for the privilege that thou hast granted, the privilege of studying thy word, the privilege of speaking thy truth to thy people, but thou knowest our great need for help. We ask for quickening, quicken our hearts, quicken our minds. O Lord our God, spirit of grace, have thy way and thy will with us, we pray, and use this word to magnify the name of Jehovah, to mag magnify the name of our Father in heaven, to magnify our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. The verse we're looking at this evening, number 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. What is this that we're reading? What is this that we're hearing? How far, in fact, is the east from the west? Indeed, when we looked at verse 11, we raised the question to ourselves and to others, how high above the earth are the heavens? These are dimensions that we are totally ignorant of. We can only imagine the height, and we think of those words, the height and depth and width and breadth of the love of Jesus Christ. And here we see these words employed, these figures, these metaphors employed to speak about how far God has removed our transgressions from us. And we praise him for that. But we desire to know something more about what is spoken of here. <clears throat> as I said, uh, how far is the east from the west? About as the same distance as the heavens are high above the earth, I suspect. How beautiful, how wonderful these metaphors that David has employed. How beautiful, how wonderful these metaphors that God the Holy Spirit has given to David to employ for our help, for our growth, for our understanding. So far, he says, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. How far? The question is, how far is so far? How far has he removed our transgressions from us? I fear that some of us may imagine that our sins haven't been removed all that far and that they're waiting around the corner perhaps to ensnare us again. So it's important for us to get a perspective on how far our sins have been removed from us. How far? Hezekiah wrote, you remember in Isaiah, the sickness of Hezekiah and how that uh, Isaiah dealt with it or God dealt with it through Isaiah. We read the beginning of chapter 38. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. Well, through God, through his merciful grace and through the prophet, Isaiah, ah, Hezekiah recovered. And he wrote, I don't know if it's a song, it looks like it could be a song, but it's at least a 
poem, and especially, and more certainly, it's a writing from Hezekiah expressing his thanksgiving, expressing his thanks to God for bringing him through this, for recovering him. But we read in verse 17, Behold, it was for my peace that I had great bitterness. But thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption. For thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. Another wondrous metaphor. God has cast all our sins behind his back. An anthropomorphic metaphor, I believe, we have here. Speaking in human language, behind the back. He has cast our sins behind his back. God is a spirit. What does it mean to cast our sins behind his back? He's condescending here with this metaphor and with this anthropomorphism. He's condescending to our puny understanding but he's telling us something at the same time. He's telling us that he's cast our sins, not just Hezekiah's, he's cast our sins behind his back. This language has been puzzling to many and puzzling to me for years and still is largely, but I believe that what is intended here, because we know God knows all things, God sees all things, and if he actually had a back, he could see behind it. So what does this mean? I believe, and I'm convinced, until somebody gives me a better understanding, that he means he's not going to bring it back up to us. He's not going to remind us of our sin. He's not going to set it before us. Now that's what men do, isn't it? Have you ever committed a fault against someone? Recognized it one way or another? Confessed it and asked for forgiveness? And they forgave you. At least they pretended they forgave you. But then as time passes, you realize that they've brought that back up to you no less than a half a dozen times one way or another. The point here is that God doesn't do that. He puts it behind his back. He's not going to bring it up to us again. And he's able to do that because his son has put it away. And it has been satisfied for through the blood of the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. And it would even be wrong for God to bring it up again. If it's brought up again, it's by my conscience. It's by your conscience. God's not going to bring it up again. He's put it behind his back. The scriptures tell us. I believe that John Bunyan did a great job of portraying for us this concept in his pilgrim's progress. When his pilgrim came up to the cross, if you've read that, you'll remember this. When pilgrim going, leaving the, the city of destruction, being impelled by his reading the word and knowing that that city is doomed to destruction, he heads off for the celestial city, but he's got this tremendous burden on his back that he's carrying. And that burden undoubtedly made itself uh, more prominent when he was in the slough of despond and just barely uh, dragged himself out and was helped out 
of that slew of despond, but he had this burden on his back, and he's going to the celestial city. He believes, he's been led to believe and understand that that's where he can be rid of this burden on his back. Of course, that burden represents his sin. Do you remember the time you had a burden on your back? <coughs> and how? How are you gonna get rid of that burden? Pilgrim is heading for the celestial city. And he's following different instructions from the evangelist on the way, pointing, pointing to that light yonder, pointing to that gate, that wicked gate. And he makes his way there. And it's when he sees the cross that he feels that burden loosed <coughs> from off his back. He feels it tumble off his back and not only tumbles off his back, but tumbles down the hill that he just came up to witness the cross. It tumbles down the hill into this sepulcher and it's never seen again. That's the way Bunyan expresses this. It's never seen again. And that's the issue that we have here. That's the wonder of God's mercy to us. That's the wonder of his salvation. That burden, his sin, rolls down the hill into that sepulcher, never to be seen again. Mark well those words, never to be seen again. It was now so far removed as east is from the west, was it not? It was put behind God's back. Do you get it? Do you see that? It was removed forever. It was put away, never to be seen again. This is what we may read in Hebrews 9.26, isn't it? That Jesus was manifested to what? We are told to put away sin. To put away the sins of his people. I suggest that this language, though it's more... It's less direct, but nonetheless, it's speaking of that same thing, putting away sin, casting it behind God's back, putting it away as far as the east is from the west. And this was the reason, this was for what Jesus came into the world. He was manifested, and he came into the world to put away the sin of his people. David experienced this, same wondrous, blessed activity of God that Bunyan's pilgrim did, and we can assume that Bunyan himself did. And we read of his confession, his famous, if I can put it that way, his famous confession in Psalm 51. We can read that, and we can read his words in verses one and nine. He cries unto Jehovah in the first verse, According to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out, blot out my transgressions, he cries. According to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Blot them out, put them away as far as the east is from the west. Put them behind thy back. Blot them out. And in the ninth verse, he cries again. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. He cries unto God. 
Blot them out. But does this answer our question, how far is the east from the west? Does it answer our question, how high above the earth are the heavens? Does it answer our question, what is behind God's back? We need to answer this question then, what is it to blot out? What does it mean to blot out? Back in Hebrews, in Hebrews 9, we referred to that 26th verse, but go back to Hebrews 9 and consider the 22nd verse. We read these words, and according to the law, I may almost say, all things are cleansed with blood, and apart from shedding of blood, there is no remission. No remission. What is remission? To remit something. What is it to remit something? The Greek word, which the best I can, I can pronounce is afiame. The Greek word means to send away. To send away. And I would submit in this instance, it means to send away as far as the east is. From the west. To send away behind God's back. To send to that sepulcher from whence it's never seen again. To put it away. To remit it. But there's no remission apart from the shedding of blood. It means to send away. Does that remind you of anything? To send away. How about the scapegoat? Does that not remind us of the scapegoat in Leviticus 16? This is a picture of atonement with the two goats. Let me read these verses beginning at verse 15 of chapter 16 of Leviticus, where we are told, then shall he, the high priest, or the priests, then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering. That's what we're talking about is sin offering, is it not? Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. Bring it within the veil and do with his blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. And he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions, even all their sins. And so shall he do for the tent of meeting. He shall do it for the tent of meeting that dwelleth with them in the midst of their uncleanness. I remember an elder years ago telling me he was reading Andrew Bonar's commentary on Leviticus. And I just remember these words. He said, there's just blood all over the place. Blood everywhere in this book. And of course, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission, so don't we want blood all over the place? It's hard to imagine, but we're reading of it. There's blood all over. But he makes satisfaction with one of these goats. And when he hath made, there's more to read there, but we don't need to do it right now. When he had made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron, the high priest, shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions, even all their sins. It, it marveled me to read 
in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, how often these are all grouped together. They're talking about the terrible things that we've done. And they call them transgressions. And they call them iniquities. And they call them sin. God calls them that in the word that he has given to us. I don't know what to make of that, but it just seems like that they're, they're just sin piled atop sin, atop sin, sins, iniquities, transgressions. But the atoning work that God has provided satisfies. But he confesses over the head of this live goat, lays his hand upon the head of the live goat and confesses all those. So they're laid upon the goat. And then what does he do? He sends him away by the hand of a man that is in readiness into the wilderness where they are never, that goat is never to be seen again. The sins are laid upon the head of the live goat and they're taken away, they're sent away, never to be seen again. That's what our satisfaction, our Lord Jesus Christ has accomplished through his blood at Golgotha, so that our sins can be sent away, never to be seen again, so that they can be blotted out. Blotted out. Taken away. Not to be seen again. Atonement, sending away. Just like the scapegoat. Now there is a distinction between, I believe, between pardon and acquittal. Now, in the minds of men and our justice system and so on, there doesn't seem to be, they seem to be conflated like a lot of other things. But the best I can discover that it's, it's between being set free and being pronounced not guilty. But to have our sins blotted out where they're never seen again, that's the same as being pronounced not guilty. They're sent away somewhere never to be seen again behind God's back into the depths of the deepest sea. As far as the east is from the west, they're put away. The best explanation that I can offer, that humanly speaking, that I know of as far as the difference between pardon and acquittal is in the circumstances of the matter of, the legal matter of Dr. Samuel Mudd. You remember Dr. Samuel Mudd, that's where that expression, your name is uh, Mudd, when you do something wrong, because Dr. Samuel Mudd was convicted of helping John Wilkes Booth uh, uh, attending to his broken leg after he had assassinated Lincoln. I'm not contending whether or not he was guilty, whether or not he knew that was the assassin or not. The point being, that there was a terrible plague at the prison island off the tip of Florida, and Dr. Mudd it put himself at jeopardy to help prisoners that had been contagious by this terrible plague. And he undoubtedly, and humanly speaking, saved a number of those prisoners. And so appeal was made for his pardon in President Johnson, not Lyndon, President Andrew Johnson, Lincoln's successor, pardoned him, gave him a pardon, which allowed him to be freed from that prison, from that incarceration. 
but the family, as far as I know, I didn't check it up lately, check up on it, but not very long ago, I, I was made aware that they are still, his family, his posterity, they're still trying to have the, him acquitted. They still want the pardons, not enough. All that did is turn him free. But he was still judged as guilty. And they want that overturned. They want that taken away. They want his acquittal. They want his record cleared. They want him found not guilty. That's what we have experienced because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to have our sins blotted out by God. He pours the blood of his son, as it were, on us. On the paper of our, of our judgment, the judgment against us for our sins, iniquities, transgressions. They're expunged, blotted out, sent away. We're absolutely cleared of any guilt because Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, took them upon himself. That's how they can be spoken of as far as the east is to the west, taken away. Into the depths of the deepest sea. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me, John Newton wrote and sang, I'm sure. We see the distinction in Isaiah 43, 25, I believe, when God says, speaking through Isaiah, God says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake. And I think that the next six words tell us what is meant by blotteth out thy transgressions because he follows that up, and I will not remember thy sins. That's the culmination. That's what takes place when he blots out sin. When he sends it away as far as the east is from the west, he remembers no more. He puts it behind his back. I say uh, again in 44, 21, we read, Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for thou art my servant. I have formed thee. Thou art my servant, O Israel. Thou shalt not be forgotten of me. I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions, and as a cloud thy sins. Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. Sing, O ye heavens, for Jehovah hath done it. Shout, ye lower parts of the earth. Break forth into singing, ye mountains. O forest and every tree therein, for Jehovah hath redeemed Jacob and will glorify himself in Israel. He has redeemed us through the blood of his own son. He has blotted out our sins, our iniquities, our transgressions through the blood, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Isaiah, we read in 59, 1 and 2, Behold, Jehovah's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. Neither is ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face 
from you so that he will not hear. In other words, there are thick clouds in the way. Thick clouds. The clouds that have been formed by our iniquities and our sins and our transgressions. One is written that the first cloud denotes a heavy cloud. The second is the ordinary word for cloud. But these clouds, whatever kind of cloud there may be, will be blown away easily. This writer asserts, the clouds intervene between heaven and earth, just as sin and transgression intervene between God and his people. Clouds intervene, but he has blotted them out with the blood of Christ. He has blotted out those clouds so that he will hear us, so that we do have relationship restored with our God, our Father. Because of the work of his son. He has taken these clouds away. We, we might say it this way. When the son of righteousness. Arises with healing in his wings. The thick clouds. Are forever dissipated. As far as the east is from the west. So far. Has he removed our transgressions from us. They are behind his back. They're in the depths of the deepest sea. They are blotted out. Jesus Christ, our King, our Savior, our Lord, our elder brother, our Redeemer kinsman, has satisfied the justice of God that was written, as it were, on that indictment and he has blotted it out with his blood. Let us pray. Oh, Lord our God, help us to be infinitely more grateful than we are for the love of our Lord Jesus Christ, who even while we were sinners died for us in order that our sins might be blotted out, might be put away, might be rolled into the sepulcher never to be seen again. We praise thee and we thank thee, our Father in heaven, for giving us thine only begotten Son. We thank him for setting his face steadfastly toward Jerusalem, knowing what awaited him. We thank thee for God, the Holy Spirit, being willing to indwell these still vile temples. Triune God, we praise thee and thank thee for the blood of the Lamb of God. We thank thee in Jesus' name. Amen. The benediction, if you'd stand, is simple. From Psalm 107, 43. Whoso is wise will give heed to these things. And they will consider the loving kindness of Jehovah. Amen.